healing is possible. We share stories of people everywhere who have healed from their diagnoses. Powered by HealthRevolution.org I'm your host, Dr. Anup Kumar. Welcome to the Healing is Possible podcast. My guest today is Hilary Murtaugh. We're starting another aspect to our podcast where we talk to healthcare professionals and explore this notion of healing, what it means, um, what different ranges it might express through in healthcare and how we can get there. So Hillary has a background in nursing, also in DJing and also many other things. So we're going to talk to her today. And you said that people who go into healthcare have that sense of calling, have something, even if you can't identify it consciously, yeah. there's, there's something that that's kind of calling us into that. Um, and yet, um, uh, there is that challenge with almost everybody, almost every health professional has, especially if you're clinical in healthcare, um, with prioritizing self. Um, can I don't know, can you comment on that and how that relates to what you have discovered about prioritizing self? Yes, absolutely. I think a huge part of my journey was um, coming to realize that I I mean, there's, there's labels that are quite, they're helpful to some people if it helps them identify like, oh, I fit this pattern of behavior. So I can learn more about this pattern and what it means, maybe where it came from and try to help heal myself that way. So some might call it codependency, but essentially I started learning that I had the desire to help others was not just a fully altruistic desire. It was also in part because I felt that my worthiness um, really was based in my ability to serve or perform for others or um, um, to be helpful to others, to heal others. And I think many people who consider themselves healers could identify that with that in some way. You feel that um, on your own, there's not perhaps an intrinsic sense of worth, but you, you have this sort of um, transactional <laughs> dynamic where like, okay, in order to feel like I'm a good person or that I'm worthy of love or that I'm worthy of even giving myself the treat of some self-care that I need to help others first or prioritize others first. So it's sort of like a um, an outward facing sense of self rather than an inward facing sense of self. So you're sort of defined by your usefulness to others. And I think I lived my, I lived a lot of my life from that place, not in realizing it. And then until I reached the point of burnout and nursing and also having difficulties in my romantic relationships and realizing like something is not working the way I'm operating. It's just not, doesn't feel good. Um, and then I dug a little deeper into that and um, read some books and uh, just learned more about how important it is to um, identify what feels nurturing to you and to provide it to yourself. And for me, that was prioritizing creative expression. Because I think that a fundamental element of thriving as a human being is to tap into your creativity, whatever that could mean. I mean, it could be like how you cook a meal or how you dress, how you flow through the world, how you raise your child, how you DJ a set, whatever it is. But I think when people aren't tapped into that sense of that creative energy that I think probably many forms of depression come from that place of not, because the creative urge is, is really the, it's the energy that creates life, right? <laughs> it's the fundamental energy that, 
you know, makes a flower blossom or a seed germinate mm -hmm. um, or a person feel like they're tapped into the flow of life. Um, and so that was deeply healing to me was to get in touch with that. So I had thought all along I would get in touch with that by becoming a mother. And it turns out I got in touch with that by other means, but it was just as potent. You've touched on this a couple of times um, about the different forms of creativity or the mm -hmm. different kinds of expressions of creativity. And it's very telling. And you mentioned, and you've mentioned parenthood a couple of times mm -hmm. and how that's literally creation. Like yeah. you know, sometimes we don't realize the, it, we think like superhuman beings create, but we create life forms like yeah. on the regular, <laughs> yes. like everybody, right. you know, right. It's, right. It's pretty wild. Right. Extraordinary. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's very telling because in, you know, in, in yoga, that idea of energy and creative energy mm -hmm. is called Kundalini mm -hmm. and that can express at different levels in the human being. Mm -hmm. And at the level of, in physical anatomy, at the level of the pelvis, that's reproductive energy. Right. You know? right. But then at, at the level of the stomach or the intestines, it's digestive energy, you right. know, and then it's, it's, it's feeling or emotional energy at the heart. It's speaking power at the throat Yes. It's vision and insight, you know, what's called the third eye or near the pineal gland yeah. and it's transcendence and awakening at, you know, above the head. Mm -hmm. But it's, it, I mean, you're saying the exact same thing, which is that you had this creative period in your life mm -hmm. um, and it was like, it was DJing and it was music and it was a rhythm, but at the same time, these other parts of your creativity were also calling you. Um, and I just, it just reminds me of that model of anatomy of just a totally different way of seeing the world. And, and you just said, how that could be why people are depressed or have low mood is because that creativity is not functioning somewhere at whatever level it needs to function for that yeah, person. Absolutely. Like there's some blockage of the flow of energy. And I think when you tap into whatever your creative expression wants to be, and it truly could be just how you dress yourself in the morning, how you interact with others around you. Cause like mm -hmm. the way we live is an act of creativity, you know, yeah. every choice we make, how we express ourselves. Um, but if there's, if that is, if there's blockages there and you're withholding some aspect of yourself, um, then the energy of life, whatever you want to call it, uh, is not flowing in that place. And I think yeah. that can lead to, um, people getting really stuck in a feeling in a stuck place. And if that goes on long enough, of course, anybody who's worked in healthcare or lived long enough has probably seen that that can also lead to illness in, in the physical form. Yeah. So let's get into consciousness a little yeah. bit more and yeah, how it ties in with this, because part of the challenge I think we have in healthcare is that it's all body, body, body primarily. Mm -hmm. And even, even in psychiatry, it's, it's still brain and neurotransmitter based. Sure. I mean, that's, it's still biomedical science, right? So it's still brain and neurotransmitter based. Um, how do we, what can we do about that? How do you see that? Because in, to some extent, it, it either minimizes or contradicts like the view that this fundamental energy and this flow is so important and can even influence the physical, right? Mm -hmm. if, if physical and everything is first, mm -hmm. then all that is kind of secondary and not so important. Mm -hmm. How do you see that? What can we do about that? I mean, just as two colleagues you know what do we yeah. do about that that's huge it is huge and it's i think it's interesting too like say if we just keep it in the realm of medicine and working in, in a healthcare acute care setting um 
if you've worked in a acute care setting long enough, like in the ED is very much like labor and delivery, the department I work in, because people are coming in, they get triaged and then, you know, they either, they have their baby one way or the other, or they get triaged in the ED and you figure out what's wrong with them and they get sent home or sent in, you know, admitted to the hospital, whatever. But you see certain patterns of, um, you see patterns and you see a big enough sample size of the complaints people are presenting with. And um, also you see patterns in um, the way people are experiencing the event. So there's the event and then there's the reacted to or the experience of the event by the person. And say in the setting I work in now and I've been working in for several years, labor and delivery, um, we all know that there is an enormous mental and emotional component to the process of labor and how it unfolds and how it goes. Um, I mean, there's sort of a joke in most labor and delivery words that like the length of the birth plan um, is kind of in relation to the longer the birth plan, the more the mother is feeling a lot of anxiety and wanting to control every step of the labor process, the higher her chances of having a crash C-section. Hmm. Um, and I don't think anybody's ever done a study on that or if they have, I, I haven't seen it, but it's sort of anecdotally, we all sort of we know it to be true. The higher the, the desire to control every step of the way, the more that um, whatever, whatever fear is causing that desire for control, the, the more likely that the worst case scenario that's been feared is more likely to come to pass. Hmm. And so we all know that, but there's no language for talking about hmm. um, mind-body connection, the role of expectations, the role of... Um, relationship to experience and how people are thinking of their experience um, and receiving it. So I think the healthcare setting is really prime to have these ideas introduced gently because anybody who's, you know, no matter how um, much of a scientific materialist worldview a person has, there's, when you work in that setting, you there's the lived experience um, that sometimes it's, you know, similar to a placebo effect. We all know a placebo effect happens, but not enough people in medicine are really saying, no, wait a minute, hang on now. Yeah. <laughs> if it's the case that, you know, a huge chunk of people receiving a treatment feel that they improved health based on like a sham treatment or sugar pills, then let's look at why that's happening. What's yeah. going on here. Yeah. What is one thing you might suggest or you would say would help nurses and doctors um, to see a new perspective um, or to try something different or to step into kind of a new place and explore how this can show up in healthcare in a new way. This idea of the importance and significance mm -hmm. of um, a non-materialist perspective. Yeah. Gosh, that's a really good question. Um... It's a hard question. Yeah, I think hmm. for most people, I think that the most compelling evidence is experiential. So having more opportunities for the more, I guess you, labels are sometimes helpful, sometimes not, but I guess you could say like the more rationalist, materialist worldview that is reductionist that thinks, you know, we can just, if we can just look and slice it the tiniest, tiniest possible measurement, then we'll figure out what's really going on. Yeah. Um, 
but if you can get them to experience how they could uh, change the uh, their mood or their physical experience in their body simply by paying attention to the physical sensations in their body and showing curiosity until those sensations change state. Um, something as simple as that, but really dropping out of the mind and into the body can be helpful. And I think that's gonna be a slow, a way to open the door slowly to people who are less um, inclined to experience the world that way is to get them into like a more somatic experience than a purely analytical one. Um, so offering experiences um, to kind of dip into that subjective objective divide or that mind body divide mm -hmm. where people start to feel a change within themselves mm -hmm. is one way to advance healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, there's, there's so many levels that it can be tackled at the same time and that it ought to be tackled at the same time. I think yeah. there's also an enormous stigma among in academia, in academic research um, about medicine, about science in proposing that um, maybe an idealist worldview instead of a materialist one, maybe there's something to that. Mm -hmm. I think we're probably close to the threshold of having wider acceptance of that. Mm -hmm. In fact, us having this conversation here, the more of these conversations happen, um, the network just grows. But, um, but I do think that there's probably a lot of um, scholars and researchers who in, inside really do believe like there might be something to this more idealist perspective. There might be something to the idea that um, consciousness is fundamental, but it's, they would, it would be like a career suicide to say it so. <laughs> so that culture in academic culture is a pretty slow one to change. Um, yeah. Um, you know, in, in neuroscience, it's changing. They're actually talking about right. panpsychist perspectives and other perspectives. Right. And now it's, it's kind of cool yeah. to get funding to do conscious research. And right. so at that level of changing, healthcare is still kind of a dinosaur. You know, yes. we still have those old slow computers, the big oh, ones, totally. you know, like that's, yeah. that's all still happening. So yeah. it's, it's still behind. And of course, clinical practice is generally behind medical research mm -hmm. and medical research is, is behind, you know, the kind of cutting edge kind of philosophy and, and right. neuroscience. So right. hopefully we'll get there soon. I think we are getting there. You're right. These conversations are symbolic of that. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, so you have helped people heal. You have been on your own healing journey. You're a healthcare professional. When you hear the phrase healing is possible, what does that mean to you? Um, to me, it has a, a feeling of the, um, empowerment that comes with realizing that life is not happening to you. You're creating life moment to moment um, through the thoughts that you choose, the what you choose to focus your consciousness upon, how you direct your awareness. Um, it really shapes the experience you're having. And that does eventually have an effect on the tangible experience of being in your body and the wellness of your body. But I think of healing as so much more than that, um, you know, really, healing one's relationship with themselves and coming to a place of, um, of true, healthy, robust, compassionate, grounded self-love is at the root of all healing. It be, whether it be, you know, healing actual physical ailment, healing a relationship with a loved one, healing bitter disputes between countries or communities or 
ethnicities. It has to begin with, you know, having a look at what's inside of yourself, getting to a place of love, tenderness, forgiveness um, with yourself, and then that spills over into everyone else. But if you have a lot of stuck resentment or shame inside of yourself, it's, I think, very difficult to just jump to healing the dynamic with others or in a larger scale. So I, I'm very encouraged by um, just what a explosion of resources and desire there seems to be out there for people to grow, improve their relationship with themselves, improve conscious partnership skills, um, and learn how to take better care of themselves and stop um, distracting themselves away from the experience of being present and dive more into the experience of being present. So I have a lot of hope. Um, I did want to go back to something else when we were talking about what needs to change in healthcare. I mean, unfortunately, I think the biggest thing that needs to change is that uh, right now I live in a very profit-driven healthcare model. And as long as that's the case, then the idea that simply living a healthier lifestyle um, could heal people from very expensive or profitable if you're in the, in the if you're on the side of insurance companies or whatever that um, the model has to be reworked altogether um, unfortunately and that who knows how that process will take place but yeah yeah you know to me the root is when I see people in the ER over 15 years now um, what I see so often is, a lack of power mm. and people not aware of their power it's not that they don't have power but they don't know they have power mm -hmm. and they have been told by the messaging over and over mm -hmm. that you don't have power that we healthcare experts have all the power yes absolutely. we have the diagnoses and we have the treatments you mentioned earlier i forgot exactly what you said but you said something about describing something in a certain way or describing certain patterns and that could be called something like codependency for example mm -hmm. well i mean that's kind of what a diagnosis is right it's right. like seeing a certain set of experiences and maybe some tests maybe some imaging mm -hmm. we say well this pattern is this diagnosis mm -hmm. and i don't think people realize that is like a way of seeing mm -hmm. you know it's not i mean it's a fact when taking the biomedical view and it's helpful for what it's good for and obviously unhelpful for what it's not good for Mm -hmm. So I think we have to see that's a way of seeing. Mm -hmm. um, and when we do that, then we can also choose other ways of seeing. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the main things I think coming back to power is recognizing that our bodies have been healing since we were born. Yeah. Infections, cuts, bruises. I mean, anything. It's healing yeah. all the time. It's Absolutely. A system. Tremendous intelligence happening. It's extraordinary. Right? Yeah. So I think the most powerful, more powerful question is like, if I'm not healing from something, what are the blocks in place? What are the impediments and mm -hmm. how do I remove them? Mm -hmm. So I'm getting to this because I've thought about this so much and um, I've been so brokenhearted about the idea that we are not showing people their power to heal, mm -hmm. that we created this program called Health Jumpstart recently that focuses yeah, on beautiful. nutrition, movement, connection, and rest. And what we see on our podcast is that people heal from all kinds of stuff with this rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, wow. uh, schizophrenia, psychosis, depression, 
I could go on and on. Wow. Multiple sclerosis. I mean, stuff that looks to be impossible to heal right. from. It's thought to be impossible to heal from. They heal from, and it doesn't get written up in the case reports. So mm. even the prognoses that we talk about are in question because we're not writing up the full story, you know? Right. So Why do you think it doesn't get written up in the case reports? I think because it challenges our expertise. Yeah, right? challenges so, the Yeah, so my... So as a physician, my training is that we are made up of atoms mm -hmm. and that that arrangement of atoms eventually contributes to a disease or does not in some way, right? Mm -hmm. So if I have some other view, like if somebody has been doing something that really stresses them out, for example, and then switches and their ulcerative colitis of many years goes away after being on tons of immunosuppressants, mm -hmm. we don't really have a model for that except to say stress causes ulcerative colitis. But we don't really say stress is mind and mind is how it relates to the body. You know, we kind of don't go there. Yeah. Um, I had one person who healed from rheumatoid arthritis who their physician said, well, you know, you're going to be in a wheelchair in X years wow. or like, you know, um, you didn't really have X disease mm -hmm. because you healed from it and it's not possible to heal from it. Therefore, you, didn't have the disease. Uh, right. you know, right. so there are all these kinds of these uh, these this wiggle room that we mm -hmm. tend to do. I don't think it's malicious. I think we're protecting our sense of identity, sense of expertise, sure. which goes along with our salary. Like all this stuff is tied together. Sure. So getting back to the profit motive, I think that by doing programs like this and mm -hmm. people recognizing their power, then I think that's the way to change it. If people are starting to heal and therefore they need fewer medications, it's already happening, right? Integrative medicine is everywhere yeah. now. There's no medical center, major medical center without integrative medicine. But in most cases, they don't really understand what they're doing because the, yeah. the philosophical foundation and that it represents primacy of consciousness, all this stuff is just kind of shoved into the corner. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But that's how I see the addressing the, the profit-driven motive is the more people start healing independently um, or at least using other methods and the more pills and surgery are seen to be complementary medicine, which is what they really are, right. I think right. that motive that profit motive hopefully changes. Well, that's beautiful. And that's exciting. Yeah. And I do. It's, it's also so important that you're sharing these stories here. Cause I think just as you said, um, you know, the case reports don't really get published because it doesn't fit into the mental model. It's also true that perhaps healing isn't happening more often without all the adjunct therapies, because it doesn't fit into the mental model of yeah how to heal. So if you're told yeah. there's no healing from rheumatoid arthritis, it's a chronic degenerative condition, then yeah. there's no space in your awareness for healing to be possible. So yeah. simply by sharing the stories, it sort of expands people's perspective of what is possible and allows for the possibility that um, there's more robust ways of approaching. Um, yeah. yeah and I, I think one of the ways, obviously it's coming out more and more, people are recognizing that you can heal through some of these means. But I think one of the old stories that's going to slowly die is this idea that lifestyle is about prevention. And that's like, you know, it's like, keep it in that small little corner over there. Lifestyle is almost like a bad word. Like, oh, that's lifestyle. And that's about prevention. And I say, no, it's about prevention. It's about healing existing disease, chronic and acute. It's about general well-being, And it's about spiritual insight. It's like everything. Yes, everything. It's everything. Yeah, There's so much power in what we call the four engines of nutrition, movement, connection, and rest. Mm -hmm. And you apply those across the body and mind, like 
on the regular, people are healing from things, predictably healing from things that are thought to be incurable. Wow. There's wow. so much power in there. That's so exciting. <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah. So that's a good note to leave on, on that inspiring note. Um, do you think, how long do you think it'll take for us to get to a time where we actually talk about healing in healthcare? Because it's weird, even though healthcare has the word heal in it, mm -hmm. it's kind of a taboo word. We don't really say the word healing. We talk about treatment, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Um, how long do you think before we get there? Maybe we're there now. Well, we're there now in, in this moment because we're having this conversation about it, for sure. On a grander scale, again, I think, unfortunately, right now we live in this world that is um, where the economic structures are such that we pursue um, like uh, a profit driven model, but it also feels like the fabric of that might be coming undone a little bit or changing. And so it doesn't, as we all saw in 2008, it doesn't take very long for House of Cards to come crashing down. Um, and if something like that happened and the systems just sort of were strained enough that they failed to really provide what they promised to provide, then people might start unplugging a little bit and thinking like, well, hang on, how can we do better? And how can we put a little bit more power into our own hands to your point? Um, because these systems that we relied upon, they're just failing to give us what we thought we needed. Um, and, and it also goes back to my point a bit, which is that with each person on their own journey realizes that they, they really are much more in control of their own experience down to their own health than they realize. And um, they're not, I mean, sort of, I mean, I can get into a um, bigger philosophical statement about sort of the end of patriarchy overall, but by patriarchy, I mean, thinking that there is some paternal figure that is, you know, looking out for everyone that we can rely on that is also in charge. We say, well, actually, what if that's not the case? What if we're like creating, um, we have much more power than you, we think, as you said, um, and that we can have radical changes if we really live by that um, and get out of victim mindset and into an empowered mindset, then I think um, the there could be like a waterfall moment where you just go over the waterfall and there's a really rapid um, transformation of consciousness. And it's sort of a like a slow momentum up to that point. I think of the birth process when a woman is pushing, um, there is quite a long period where you start to see the head of the baby come emerge with a push and then come back inside and then emerge and come back inside. And it feel it can feel like forever if it's a first baby, a long pushing phase. I feel like forever that that happens. And then all of a sudden that head stays and then it's like two more pushes and the baby is fully out. And I feel like we're kind of at that rocking back and forth stage. The head is emerging. And at some point, I'm not sure when it would be, but more conversations, more momentum building that will sort of stay put and then the energy will shift and flow in a new direction. stories shared here are the experiences of the speakers. They're not intended as medical advice. Join our network or simply share your story at healthrevolution.org. Healing is possible.